Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. You can get tickets uh, like ones to the movies playing as part of the Burdened with Dreams series of early Herzog films like the one we're talking about today at Trilon.org. That's Trilon.org, the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota's official website. My name is Jason Daphnis, uh, and I made a promise to a pig that loves Caruso very much, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison, and by the most miraculous of circumstances, I find myself somehow in an affair with Claudia Cardinal, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. My eyesight isn't good, but I can't be fooled. I'm Harry Mackin, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And I am being crushed by legal fees uh, on behalf of Aaron Grossman and Associates, but I must put together one final franchise version of the patented Aaron Grossman summary to discuss the film we're talking about today, which is 1982's Fitzcarraldo, an early uh, Werner Herzog film, again, playing as part of a series at the Trilon. That's ongoing, uh, and you can find tickets at trilon.org. Let's see, I've put this together, but it might be a little bit of one by committee, fellas, because I'm sure that I've missed a couple of things that are important to talk about when even just introducing this movie, but let's get into it. Um, it's a 1982 film directed by Werner Herzog starring Klaus Kinski primarily uh, the uh, uh, supporting and ancillary cast is upcoming but I will get through the summary first I'm doing this really well um, to fund his dream of building an opera house in the Amazon rainforest eccentric entrepreneur and opera fanatic Brian Sweeney Fitzgerald known as Fitzcarraldo by the local Peruvians uh, charters a steamboat down the river so he can exploit untouched lands on a nearby tributary and capitalize on the booming rubber business there uh, with a captain engineer cook and crew he sets his obsession on a mile wide mountain between the river he's on and the river where he needs to be the point where the two rivers almost touch and concocts a plan to drag the steamboat excuse me steamboat over the remaining land in one piece uh starring klaus kinski as fitzcarraldo claudia cardinale as molly jose lugoy as don aquilino a reappearing of course from cobra verde as the uh plantation owner that sends cobra verde on his way to the african coast miguel angel fuentes as cholo the ship's engineer paul hitcher as orinoco paul the captain and Werekeke enrique bojorquez as Werekeke, the ship's cook um, it was a critical hit at the time. It was nominated for the Palme d'Or, uh, the Golden Globe Award for Best Foreign Language Film, and Herzog himself won the Best Director Award at Cannes in 82. Of course, um, the big Werner warning on this one, uh, there were, are, of course, reports around its filmmaking that um, several indigenous extras actually died during the tumultuous filming of this movie, which is chronicled in its own documentary, The Burden of Dreams. Um, people were bitten by snakes. They were injured. They were exploited, of course, and just general accusations of exploitation uh, of indigenous peoples by Herzog and the crew that was making this film. Um, long way to go to make a f- movie, uh, of course. Herzog became famous for that general perspective and style. Uh, does that sound about right, fellas? Yeah, I think that was really well done, actually, um, yeah. Jason. And I think that we'll discuss a lot of the particularly the exploitative aspects of this movie and the sort of history surrounding it as we talk about the movie. So I think that's a really good place to start. Excellent. Uh, then I'll give my top level thoughts in absence of Aaron. Um, I don't know if I like the space this movie put me in. I know that there are elements of it that I definitely see why, um, you know, it's, it's people's favorite movie from Herzog or one of their people, one of people's favorite movies from Herzog. Uh, a lot of positive reception around this movie generally as, you know, as cinema, whatever. Um, it, it's like, it's pieces really come together that it's a singular in plot that it's uh, got clearly defined like characters and roles. It's a lot more cohesive, I guess, than some of the other, or at least like straightforward than some of the other Herzog we've covered as part of this podcast, which again, the extent of my Herzog knowledge is pertinent to this podcast. Um, it's got supporting motivations for those, a lot of those characters. It's got, uh, you know, intensely, of course, impressive practical effects. They actually uh, did build two large steamboats and 
dragged one of them across a large swath of land in the Amazon. Um, it is a movie asked movie. We were talking about it last night outside the trial on how it is like classically a movie that some like a real effort, a real passion project kind of thing. Um, but uh, it, you know, of course, it's also stuck in the same kind of waters, I think, that Cobra Verde was in. If you listened to that episode where the story that the movie's building and the lens through which uh, it portrays its main character, um, it, they most, you know, consistently seem at odds, I guess. It's a story about a stupid European following his trite obsession um, into uh, the Amazon on, at an un, to an unre- excuse me, unreasonable degree um, and actively exploiting uh, essentially the entire continent uh, or like for, forwarding the exploitation of the continent to do it. Uh, and we kind of have to see him as the protagonist and kind of like have to admire a little bit as a dreamer. Of course, you can construct readings around it that are like Harry was talking about last night, um, you can construct readings that are, well, that's kind of the point that, you know, these people get away with it, that they're sort of rewarded, that no dream of theirs is impeded as long as they're able to leverage the tools of uh, capitalist imperialist motivation, you know, effectively enough. Um, I don't know that I see that in the DNA of this movie, but it's also, it's just a weird space to be in because you know that Herzog considered that when writing and directing this movie, you know that you don't like in 1982, you do not make a movie about these things to this like ridiculously committed extent without considering that. But it also doesn't really like connect the loop on any of that. Um, that criticism of my own um, that, you know, the story and the main character and sort of the lens we see them through are not really aligned is undercut sometimes by plot points uh where his like there's the part where his crew abandons him halfway down the river um there's uh when two of his indigenous laborers are killed under his boat um and when those same laborers like send him down the uh i think it was the ukiyali rapids i'm forgetting the name of it uh, in peru um it never really makes his mission appear more reasonable or relatable. Like it always casts this mission as ridiculous. Um, and that is something that I think generally did work for me is that it never seems like a good goal to have, but it is just one that we are com- that he is committed to seeing through and that the director is committed to showing us every piece of, um, I'm really going on a lot, but I just want to bring in one last piece about, uh, in, you know, contemporaneous press about this. I believe he was on Letterman. Herzog was talking about like, you know, how he's a, how that character is a dreamer and throughout his career, he's always sort of talked about, uh, you know, being obsessed with, with, uh, dreams and, you know, and aspirations and goals and truth, et cetera. I'm not sure. Um, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm sure that what he, that he knew what he was doing when he was building this movie, as well as like Cobra Verde, you know, you don't, you don't make movies about imperialism and exploitation and slavery without really knowing what you're doing. Um, but I just don't know which one won out with this movie, I guess, in a way, like whether it was the, you know, critic inside of him that, uh, made something like Aguirre, which is, as we've mentioned, very scornful and spiteful and pointedly so, uh, toward European, European imperialists, uh, or the dreamer that's like, man, you got to admire the spirit of this character. Um, I know that this is a very ground level, basic look at the movie, but, um, I'm really looking forward to picking it apart because I know that we have, uh, some, some thoughts, capital T thoughts, uh, and that's T-H-O-U-G-H-T-S on this episode. Uh, but for right now, I have to make room for the next voice on the podcast. Um, and that's my favorite dreamer. Uh, that's Cody Narvison. Oh, wow. Thank you, Jason. I guess I, I better get some dreams now. Um, more on that soon, listeners. Um, yeah, so I, I've seen... I've seen Fitzcarraldo once before. Uh, it was in a film music class that I was in in college. And uh, it was my my first Herzog joint and my only one for the longest time. And so watching it and sitting with it for so long, I, I definitely you know, lost the potential for any sort of maybe metatextual components that we may or may not get to, specifically about Herz, uh, Herzog as a filmmaker and Kinski as an actor. And sort of my big takeaways at the time, I remember thinking, you know, it's it's long-winded. I don't like this actor, uh, this Kinski guy. I don't like his character. I don't like how indigenous people are portrayed and used in this movie. And I remember watching it in class and uh, going, uh, you know, coming home, going to my apartment and just ranting to my roommates about how much I didn't like this movie that they had uh, no context for either. But, um, you know, th- this Herzog slate of films, it's it's given me a better, uh, not necessarily complete, you know, I, I definitely hesitate to say that, but definitely a better understanding of the parts that comprise this movie. Uh, it doesn't fill all of the the cracks for me. Um, looking into this, you know, just a little bit, shouts to wikipedia.org. Um, maybe if 
one of the original choices for the title role, um, being uh, Jason Robards, and then afterward Jack Nicholson was apparently considered. Um, maybe if either of them uh, were in the title, like some some of it maybe would have made more sense. But at the outset, you know, looking at it from afar, this is you know it's an unlike it's a movie with an unlikable character committing unlikable acts and played by a very unlikable man and. You know, there's an element of scale that leads to a lot of really impeccable imagery. And I like that I can get that out of this movie, but it takes a lot for us to get there. And the fact that I'm meant to perhaps not completely, but at least partially be um, somewhat endeared by the adventures of Fitzcarraldo, it's just not something I'm interested in doing, I guess. Um, I don't know how much being able to like laugh at Kinski you know, how much that maybe plays into why other people like this movie or finding humor in it taking so long for us to um, get to a, a sort of underwhelming or simple resolution and latching onto that. Or, you know, maybe we're finding other ways to unironically, ironically like this movie. Maybe we'll ponder some of that. Maybe we won't. I don't want to speculate too much, uh, even though I just did a lot, but uh, I'm just not able to get on board with, with any of that, uh, uh, unfortunately. And though, if I'm being honest, I I thought the two and a half plus hours, you know, they went by more quickly than I anticipated. And, um, you know, maybe it was because I was mentally prepared for it, but maybe also because, um, you know, just talking about how this film was made, you know, it's not, it's not edited in a way that, uh, at least reminded me of its length. Like there are some, definitely some shots and scenes that could have been eliminated. And I think we would have been just fine. Uh, but when we cut to something, we stay with it for a little while, um, as opposed to like, you know, we're not responding to a lot of stimuli at once. And I think editing more rapidly would have made this um, feel unnecessarily more dense. Um, though, uh, like I think Jason alluded to, I don't, I, this isn't a dense movie, but it is, or it is, you know, rather very straightforward. We just take, we really take our time getting there. Um, and I didn't particularly enjoy my time getting there, uh, which again, so, uh, as we've talked about the last few weeks, it kind of gets to the question of, you know, uh, enjoying what we're seeing versus appreciating what's being shown. I don't know if I did much of either. Um, but there were some things I, I probably appreciated, uh, the, um, I guess personal bright spots for me. And I, I know this is going on a long time, but, um, the, the striking cinematography, like I mentioned, the, the sort of cinema of spectacle or, or cinema of labor, um, there are a lot of impressive things being done, uh, in front of the camera and humans did those undoubtedly impressive things, uh, that led to injuries and deaths on set. Um, which again, we'll, we'll get to. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, as the, the cook here, KK and, uh, Orinoco Paul, the captain, two great characters that I liked watching. Um, I know this is a film a lot of people love and genuinely, I think it's very cool that, that people do. I, I, I'm not sure this is for me though, but you know, what would cheer me up, um, is a, a needle drop. Uh, I think that would do the trick. So I'm going to put on some of my favorite hits uh, from from the uh, the artist Mackin. You'll know the turntables running once you hear his his sweet voice. So here we go, fellas. Listen in. All right, listen up, Big Daddy. I'm going to haul this boat up the mountain. All right, they're going to tell you you can't do it, but I just think we need a little bit more spunk. Can you do it for me, Jack? <laughs> I would really like to have seen Jack Nicholson in this role. Um, yeah, so I think you guys have covered a lot of what um, I was interested in talking about. Uh, I'm trying to feel out how sort of hot I can come in on this. Um, I will say that that all of our listeners should read um, Chris Poley, former... Uh, guest star of the the podcast, his um, Perisphere blog on this movie is called Making Films, Taking Lives, How the Present Looms Large and Herzog's Fitzcarraldo. I think it does a pretty good job of setting up the sort of contemporary context surrounding this movie. Um, I should also preface it by saying sort of like Cody did, like we're not the woke mob, right? Like I'm not out to cancel Herzog. We're just fucking guys with podcasts and talking about our personal opinions. So like, I don't think that like, I, I don't have the right to, to judge or whatever, right? I will say, though, that especially after – I so coming out of this movie, I was sort of um, – I think I felt more favorably about it than either Cody or Jason did, maybe because I had um, in – been too sort of generous to Herzog in constructing this this very deconstructive, very um, generous argument uh, about 
the subversive qualities of Fitzcarraldo talking about how like the laborers did all of the real like impressive and exciting work here. Fitzcarraldo is a moron. He's a, a complete lunatic and an, a megalomaniacal narcissist um, who doesn't actually care about the people around him. And because of his position as sort of like the leisure class white man in a um, colonial state, he cannot fail. He cannot help but to be um, successful in one capacity or another, or at least his failures mean nothing and he learns nothing from them. I, I was constructing all of this in my head as I was watching, right? Like, and I think that there is something to it, right? Like Fitzcarraldo's um, partner who finances him is literally a pimp. Like she, she owns a brothel and she sells native women to white men. Uh, so like, there's that. Um, he also like fundamentally exploits the natives um, for his um, own gains by exploiting their um, superstitions and belief system, uh, even when it turns against him. So like there is all of that. However, I just don't know if I'm willing to give the benefit of that reading to Herzog when the point of this movie seems to be to recreate the circumstances of Fitzcarraldo's journey itself in film. I mean, like this was practically done. Uh, the it's almost documentary like in the fact that the the big sort of spectacle of this movie is is meant to be watching these native people actually haul this ship up a mountain, much like Fitzcarraldo actually did that in the in the movie. And there's this like very uncomfortable, very in my mind obvious conflation of Herzog's quote unquote burden of dreams with Fitzcarraldo's burden of dreams. They're both meant to be seen as these sort of like like wingnut, not necessarily naive almost, and um, certainly not. Uh, mature or uh, reasonable individuals who nonetheless are so captivated by these outsized dreams and ambitions of their own that they make them happen through sheer force of will. At least that's sort of what the movie seems to be saying, especially with this ending where like Fitzcarraldo's dreams are in one sense crushed because he will never be wealthy. He will never uh, achieve his um, rubber baron status, but he still seems to achieve everything he really wanted. And that seems to suggest to me, at least that like the dream itself to see these, this opera come to this part of the world and to have done this incredible feat of hauling this boat up this mountain is really what Fitzcarraldo was interested in. I just don't care. Right. It's sort of like we're saying about Cobra Verde, where like this is sort of a great man thesis. I don't give a shit about Herzog's dreams or ambitions in this sense. I don't think that they outweigh the the dreams or the labor or the human bodies that were literally crushed under these dreams. And from that point of view, I mean, if we want to get really hot, I think this is like a fascist fucking movie, right? It's like, this is a guy who's saying that like, oh, my dreams are so important and my ability to produce art that like these other people that literally only exist to be crushed by this machine are like, that's, that's part of, that's their story. Right. And it's like, I just categorically reject that. I guess it's just like, I don't think this movie should have been made. I don't think it's, it's more important than the lives of the people who died while making it. Right. And I kind of thought that was the point of the movie itself. And so it's wild that it seems to be not the point at all. And that we're meant to be seeing this sort of like very direct, straightforward idea about the like the nature of dreamers in the fact that like dreamers are what make us human and like that that to have dreams and to to do um impossible ridiculous things even without any clear benefit is is the human in us it's like i don't give a shit about any of that and i don't care that Fitzcarraldo hauled this fucking boat up the mountain it's not impressive to me <laughs> certainly not in the face of the people he killed to do it you know it's it's just like i don't I think that that that's just sort of like this idea that the, the dreams can be divorced from the effect or that like the dreams themselves have some inherent value to our humanity is just something that I think I categorically reject, especially when you take such great pains to set it in the context of exploitation in this way, which again is why I thought like, this is what the movie was about, right? Like I, I really thought that it was about like, Oh, the, these people, like you can't divorce the, the dream, however pure it might seem to you from the material realities and from the effects or consequences of that dream on the people that you inflicted upon. Right. And I think that there is that sort of reading there, but I just like, I don't think it matters when Herzog had recreated exactly that notion that his dreams are more important than the people that he exploits to, pull them off in the actual creation of this film. It's like, it's like this weird, almost like, um, like, uh, what do you call it? Even like, um, 
like method acting, but like method directing or method art making, where it's like an artistic project that he became the megalomaniacal narcissist that he was depicting on screen. And it's just like, I guess, man. But like, is that something we want to reward? Is that something that like we want to think of Herzog as this incredible director for for pulling off? Because like, I don't think anything he did was impressive here. I think that what was impressive was the people that he again exploited to pull this off, right? Like, it's amazing that they hauled the uh, ship up that mountain, but it's not amazing that he fucking pointed a camera at it. I don't know, man. So I just like, it kind of makes me really mad to talk about. And like, I fully understand that maybe I'm missing something and maybe I'm going to be canceled for these opinions. But like, I came out of this movie feeling like, okay, like maybe Herzog was doing something. And then I read more about it and I read Poli's uh, article and I like watched that Letterman interview where he talked about dreamers. And I was like, no, nah, actually this guy can fucking die. I am in agreement with you. I, I like very much like this sounds a lot like our discussion of uh, Cobra Verde. Wherein, like, it seems like Herzog wanted a little bit of cake and to eat it too. Um, he wants to show you, I guess. I mean, I'm saying he. It was a whole group of people who like made this, but of course, spearheaded, sort of driven by the guy who wrote and directed the movie. Um, so shorthand, he wants to show you that, like, he knows exploitation is bad. He knows that, uh, like, all of the tools and means that have gotten uh, the character to this point are like inherently. Um, ridiculous they're inherently uh you know exploitative and poisonous and a net negative for the world um even if they're benefiting one person but also look at the dream that 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 at the actualization at like the realization of of a of a like of a passionate um uh i i guess like complete project look at look at what it enabled you know like that is the final shot of the movie is Fitzcarraldo uh, sort of sailing along um, with a live opera performing on the steamboat that he crashed through the most lethal rapids in Peru. Um, and just look at it. Isn't it a beautiful thing? Like look right. at the consummation of this dream. It just feels, um, you know, I, like I, I liked where you were going with like, Oh, if you wanted to read further into it, you could say like, is he saying anything about like the place of art as a direct imposition on, um, you know, yes. the, the world itself. Right. But that's a, that's a really far read from what we actually get in the movie. <laughs> well, and there's a really fascinating argument to be made there that I think is actually like much more interesting maybe than the ultimate argument, which is that like, I think that this movie wants you to think, or at least the, the sort of seduction of this movie, the pernicious um, belief at the heart of it, it that, is that there is something redemptive about Fitzcarraldo's dream itself that there's something about the purity of the fact that he genuinely loves this music. He genuinely loves um, opera and he really wants mm -hmm. to see it brought to this part of the world that makes it sort of, if not okay, at least somewhat like sympathetic or beautiful that he's doing this. And like my, my whole argument for that is that like, no, like the fact that he did the things that he did and that he utilized the tools that he utilized to make that dream come true, they retroactively make that dream as disgusting, as corrupt, and as evil as the exploitation of natives for colonial purposes, right? I think that's the whole, that was the idea that I thought it was going to present, right? Is that like, just because you think you're doing something pure, something that's born of love, if you utilize evil to, to, make it, then it is itself evil, right? That opera itself is evil. And I think that there, in an interesting way, there's like a really good, like stealth point there, because like at the end, they're talking about bringing Richard Wagner to the jungle, right? And like Wagner mm -hmm. was very famously Hitler's favorite, uh, um, opera maker and, um, composer and like a, a guy who had fascist, um, sympathies, right? And so like, there is a, there's a really interesting thing happening there where it's like, actually like, your, you think that your love that is redemptive is somehow um, sanitized from or separate from the material realities or the power couplings or the um, the evils inherent to the culture that you were born into or the workmanship and um, like material realities you need to exploit to bring about these loves, but in fact, they're not. In fact, it operates just the opposite where you think that your dreams can sanitize your, uh, the, the methods, right? But in fact, the methods corrupt the dream. 
But that, again, it does not seem to be what this movie is saying. In fact, the movie seems to be saying that it is somehow possible that there was something redemptive about Fitzcarraldo's dreams and maybe about mankind's dreams in general. And I just don't, I just fundamentally disagree, right? I mean, at the end of this movie, I I really am hard pressed not to see the, the triumph of Fitzcarraldo as he is so happy and, and enjoying himself on this boat, listening to this opera as something that we're supposed to be like sort of shaking our heads and, and bemused by, if nothing else. And I'm like thinking about the bodies that he left in his wake, right? And the fact that he's going to do this shit again because he didn't learn anything and because he'll be financed by irresponsible people again because they love him for his dreams. And like in that way, the dreams are the evil, right? Like the fact that he has these dreams is what's going to continue to perpetuate this inequality and these evils that he is inflicting on the people around him. And it's like, that's all great, right? Like I would love to, to see a movie about that where it's like, hey, asshole, like your dream and the fact that your dreams allow you to dehumanize people makes your dreams evil and you shouldn't have them. Right. But that again is not what I think is happening. Yeah. I'm really glad that that excellent thread, by the way, gentlemen kind of got us to the point of, um, and I I don't know, I'm not an expert on anything, much less opera, but like I, and come to think of it, this is one of my few experiences with, I guess, opera as, uh, as an art form, as a, um, I guess, narrative device or motif in, in some ways, but, you know, we're talking about like intent versus like, reading um i suppose with this movie and you know um kinski's character uh obviously loves opera and i couldn't help but just because it's it's kinski in in this role and he's klaus kinski is the fucking worst right like he's this um horrible gremlin of a person and he's playing uh this role that like you know we've talked about all the things that this movie um, is or tried to be or isn't. And like, if, if this were a different movie, if it was more viscerally interested in deconstructing those, like those privileged dreamers and, and their pursuits, their gratuitous, uh, spending the, um, the thing that the movie kind of gestures out of like, Oh wow. How, how so good it feels to lose money. Um, like if, if we dug into that a little bit more and made that, made that more textual, then, like maybe that would have been a better choice rather than just like falling back on, on, you know, the old standby, you know, the, the Kinskmeister. Um, I hate that I said that, but, but instead, <laughs> uh, instead, and like, I felt myself doing it during the movie as well. And uh, maybe this was the case for you too as well. It was definitely the case for the crowd we were, we were with, but like anytime Kinski plays opera in the jungle, like I could just, I, like I was hanging my head. The fact that opera was linked with Kinski was, um, like it was a punchline, right? Like opera was, it, it became a joke. And again, different movie. And like, in some ways the, like, that's probably like a great thing to be feeling probably. Right. Because like only, oh, this is something only the, the privileged and wealthy can really access by and large. Like that's the, that's what Fitzcarraldo is trying to do is he's trying to bring opera to everybody. But instead me as a viewer, like I see this and uh, like, uh, well, I, I hate this guy. Um, Kinski <laughs> sucks as a person he's playing opera and like, it's, it's offset. It's like a, you know, um, like a, a little narrative stutter step, you know, like he plays opera and it's just like, it's, it's just, it's fucking funny. Like in a way that it, it probably shouldn't be uh, a question mark. Um, and like you, Harry, like the, the I hate seeing that ugly mug of his smiling, smoking a big honking cigar at the end. Like that's, I, I felt like it's, it, it, you feel betrayed or I don't know. I felt betrayed. Like that's not like in a way that was untested, right? Like he got what he wanted and like, there's not, uh, like a, a, a at least obvious critique to be found or felt with that. And just like, I, man, just, it really, it really grinded me. It, it sucks. I, and I don't know. I would like to like opera for what it's worth. If there are any opera fans out there, like I love pointing in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. Like it, like it seems legitimately very cool. I've just not had like the right inroad. And like, I, I hate that for opera, you know, anybody who comes away from, from this and just like, like laughs at opera now is just like, I don't know. That's, that's a bummer. Um, I, I'm, I'm sympathetic to the fringe arts in that regard. No, no, yeah, I, lo- I love opera too. Um, I, I, I love the opera. I, uh, I'm, I'm all about it. Um, all opera, all day over here. You know, I'm something uh, of a fan of the opera myself. I'm something of a 
podcaster myself. Um, the whole, like your point, uh, Cody, about the contrasting the beauty of the thing uh, with the ugliness of of the Kinski thing. Um, I, I really like where that goes because it is it, it's playing into like if there is an, uh, just a, a little tiny you know coal seam vein of a thing that i did like about this movie it, that didn't feed into the rest of it it is those contrasts um but even those have like oh you flipped it upside down and the other side of the rock is you know covered in shit too because like that core contrast between look at the beauty of this thing um you know the inherent cultural like you know relevance of it to uh to you know i guess all of western europe anyway um and you know and it's it's staying power through uh centuries etc cetera, etc cetera, uh contrasted with somebody like you know uh as incredibly heinous and ugly and terrible as klaus kinski is um like i think at its heart like a good valuable funny uh worthy contrast right but then the film does that thing <laughs> where the most iconic scene is of this, you know, beautiful, um, artful music being blasted out into the jungle and drowning out like local tribes music. Uh, like, and that is supposed to be the moment of, I, I guess I'm of two minds about it because that moment is yes. The, you know, borders between cultures, borders between worlds, uh, inherently like imaginary, right? These are all things, th these are all art forms that, um, you know, just arose in different areas due to different preferences and tastes and, and abilities, et cetera. Uh, and yet it is, it is also like seemed seeming to like say that on top of those cultures exists like this new thing, like the whole, uh, the, the opening of the movie is that gaudy opera house in literally in the middle of the Amazon, um, that even, uh, even Fitzcarraldo needs to, you know, he's been on the river for two days just trying to get there right like the core absurdity of these things being contrasted is great and funny but at the same time is like well we're now implying that there is a worth to them um that sort of supersedes what exists there um maybe i'm like not really maybe i'm playing into the movie's trap as i feel like i maybe am for this entire episode but it is just sort of a like oh i'm going down this route of I'm enjoying the contrast. I'm enjoying how we're really playing into the contrast and then realizing, oh, what is this contrast actually saying about the th two things that it is comparing and contrasting, you know? Yeah, that's a really fascinating point. And um, I really, really relate to the betrayal that you've both described. And I really love the specific word betrayal because knowing what I knew about Herzog and knowing what I knew about Klaus Kinski, I was fully waiting for the folly of man and, and man's hubris to catch up with him, right? And I almost wonder if from a formal perspective, it's not worse that the rug pull never happens. And instead we're left with this complete, because I mean, that is almost the worst betrayal, right? Like the fact that we leave the film feeling this way, feeling that this man should have got his comeuppance and he never did. Like that was where I was going, where I wanted to go with that reading, right? Is that like, it is actually, it's, it's a much worse conclusion for everyone that Fitzcarraldo, despite materially not gaining anything, realizes that his dreams or what he wanted to pull off were never material in the first place. They were purely egotistical and that he didn't actually care about how much money he wasted or didn't achieve just so long as he could have this story that he told of himself that, that could preserve his own ego and his own narcissism to allow him to continue to do that. And in that way, damn the bodies, damn the resources that were wasted, damn the exploitation, damn all of it, damn opera itself. It was all about him, right? There's all of that there to the point where like, it felt so obvious to me, right? Like Cody, you, you brought up that fantastic line where he says like, there's nothing better. There's no better feeling than losing money, right? And like opera itself is a, is a perfectly poignant metaphor for that because it's this ostentatious, ridiculous thing that is imported from Italy that has nothing to do with the culture that the people in this um, nation would have no uh, context for appreciating. And it's not for them. It's just for the edification and gratification of uh, the people who are, who are bringing it, right? Like even Fitzcarraldo says like, oh, this like, this expresses our deepest emotions. And it's like, whose deepest emotions, motherfucker? Because it's not the people that you're, that you're bringing it to. They have their own ways of doing that, that you are actively drowning out, right? Like you had said, Jason. But I just don't know if that all matters when literally the, the, like Herzog materially reconstructed the exact circumstances that he was critiquing in this movie, in the creation of this movie, right? Like if you were going to make a movie about how 
dreams don't actually outweigh human life and that labor is actually the the engine of human ingenuity and of history moving forward and that people's bodies should never be discounted for the sake of another person's ego you don't treat people the way that Herzog treated them on the set of this right you don't like exploit natives again to the point of their own deaths in order to recreate the circumstances of a thing that you are critiquing, right? Like that just cannot be like, I just, regardless of whether or not this operates as a satire, I don't think that you can materially do what Herzog did and have it be preserved, right? Like that satire ceases to operate because just like I don't care about Fitzcarraldo's achievements when he leaves bodies in his wakes. I don't care about Herzog's achievements when he leaves bodies in his wake, right? Like your art, Herzog, your fucking movie does not, it's not more important than the people that died making it, right? Like it's not, it's not more important than, than the, the people that you had the audacity to thank in the, at the beginning of this movie. And then like, I get to read years later about how they died while you were creating it. It's like, I just don't give a shit what you think you're doing right? Because like, I care about those people and I don't even care. It's like, it's a, it's a weird process, right? Because like, I don't even care if the movie is trying to agree with me, right? Like, like ultimately formally, I can see people now, right? Like I could see people listening to me talk about this and saying like, you fucking dumbass, like this is the point. Like Herzog is making all the points that you're making right now to which I would respond to that person. I don't give a flying shit right? I, I I mean, I don't because it's like at the end of the day, people died for this and people didn't deserve to die for this. And like people don't deserve to die for another person's ideas. I think this, if, if there is a, the point that we're talking about Herzog maybe having to this, uh, you know, the one that is like thoroughly overshadowed by the deaths and injuries and exploitation that occurred as a result of his production if if that does exist, I think it only works in the microcosm. I think it only works in those scenes where we can, like in the one-offs we're talking about, or the lines, the some of the scripting, um, you know, the the really iconic parts of this movie, uh, that l- makes me think like maybe its bigness is its problem more or less. I feel like if this were a, like I feel like if the whole you know value of a dream um pursue it to the ends of the earth this is the you know core element of the human spirit type thing if that if that weren't um you know the supposed point if that were less of a textual piece of the movie um then we could do away with like an actual reproduction of the gigantic steamboat we could re- do away with away with actual well probably do away with the actual death of two extras we could do away with the actual like a guy had to cut off his own leg to avoid dying by snake venom because he stepped in it while they were producing them. like all this nasty shit that like becomes part of the movie's provenance i just i don't know Maybe it's bigness. Maybe the fact that it is a two hour and 30 minute movie, uh, like about one of the biggest, dumbest things in the world and itself becomes one of the biggest, dumbest things in the world. I think maybe that is where it trips and falls. Yeah, I think, uh, boy, I don't even, I don't even know the Harry using the word satire kind of, um, it, it brought me right back into my seat at the trial on, um, where we were last night, uh, watching this movie, uh, shout out to the trial on cinema. Um, Really, really great. Um, even even if we're not having uh, the best time with this movie, um, but I'm having a, a good time talking about it. And I had a good time thinking in the moment um, as I was watching this movie, like uh, specifically, you know, again, how much of this is intentional? Is this intending to be satirical and not to circle back to Klaus Kinski? Um, I hate talking about him just as much as anybody, I'm sure. But um, the the one, honestly, the point where I found myself asking most like aggressively, like, are like, is this movie self-aware, at, at least in some ways? And it was when he presented that like American Gothic-esque painting. And, you know, here's Klaus Kinski <laughs> next to Claudia Cardinale, um, you know, his um, paramour, I think, as Wikipedia describes. And, you know, she's she's great. She's bright and beaming. And he's got these dead eyes, which I l- laughed at audibly more than once, just because, like, uh, uh, I mean, just look at him, man. And, like, that's how he looks in the picture. And it's just like the – I don't know if it's a, a matter of, like, 
what um, either of you or both of you characterized at various points of just like this movie having its cake and eating it too, where it's like, we can poke fun at at Kinski because he like, he is a joke and and like uh, the world should mock him uh, as they have been before this movie came out. Um, It's just like, we, we, you know, we're doing that, but also like, we're not going to give him his comeuppance at the end that, uh, that he probably should get um, or that this movie, uh, for I don't know, for my purposes, like this movie probably should have leaned more on that, um, not to armchair direct or, or maybe to armchair direct, but like, I don't know if it was a matter of that or what, that's just like one of many of the things that we're talking about that seemed to get sort of um, muddied uh, along the way. More than anything, I just wanted to call out that, that portrait because holy shit, it was a treat to look at. No, that's actually a really great point, right? Like, I think that this is yet another in Herzog's long line of like, strategic weaponizations of Kinski and of Kinski's persona and Kinski's inherent ridiculousness. And we don't possess all of the context. Obviously we're as ignorant as ever um, about what he was doing and what he was thinking when he made this movie. And I can totally see where it could be a sort of Cobra Verde esque, like recontextualization of, of history, right. And of the sort of great man thesis. Like I can see this movie presenting the idea that, Actually, like the people that make history books, the people that are so quote unquote great that we know about them and that they become these sort of paragons of the history of humanity and our struggle to impose order on the orderless world were like this, right? They were, they were megalomaniacal jackasses who didn't know who the hell, what the hell they were doing and didn't care about the, the things that they destroyed in order to enact their weird twisted vision of what they think of as, as beauty and purity on the world. Right. And like, this is something that is not to be exciting or not to be sort of like uh, looked up on, but something to be ridiculed and made fun of. Um, But there is something there. Right. And that's what I, I, speaking of eating its cake or having your cake and eating it too. That's what gets to me. Right. Is that like, you could even sort of make the argument that, this is Herzog at his most self-aware, making fun of his own ambitions and making fun of Kinski's sort of supposed ambitions and making fun of the idea that they are somehow great men, that they are worthy of all of the praise that they are receiving. That just doesn't operate for me because they still receive that praise, right? Like Herzog is still a megalomaniacal narcissist who did, like won awards for this movie where he killed people. And it's just like I if you think that that's true if if this is really like a a uh, rigorous self critique of the the type of person who wants to make art or do great things or have big dreams as a ridiculous person maybe you just don't do that then like maybe you actually internalize the lesson that you're supposed to be teaching and you don't exploit or kill people in the name of your own stupid ideas that you think are so much more important than theirs right <laughs> it's it's just like I it's such a flaccid self-critique because he's still just doing it. I don't know, man. So like, yeah. again, like I think that, that there are people out there, like I, I could see liking this movie. I mean, it, it is like Cobra Verde, a completely singular experience, a completely intentional experience. It is good filmmaking in many ways, but I just think that like, I fundamentally think that like, this is, this is some like absolute hypocrite shit that people should have, totally like responded to differently i guess yeah it it, i don't know that it um deserves the sort of uh, i mean two two minds two minds constantly two minds about this movie like i said i I don't like the space that it put me in i was impressed by some of the things that i saw but of course knowing you know sort of the world behind it uh adds yet another you know lens through which to see it um let's see this is the my awkward way of saying that i have uh nothing else to say about the film because i feel like i've excised a lot of those demons along the way is there anything that uh we want to get into any final thoughts before calling out uh the final segment of the movie of the show i I think what you're saying is that uh fitzcarraldo is a land of contrasts I'm trying to say that, uh, you know, um, Fitzcarraldo, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't have anything funny to say on top of that. Um, I will say more like Fitzcarraldo. Uh, Cody. Yo! Damn, I cannot follow that up um, in any way, but I will sure try to measure up. Uh, two quick, like, stray thoughts. Um, the the most distinct image that I recall from this movie from when I first saw it is um, our hero Fitz uh, sitting atop a church bell tower um, towards, you know, smack dab in the middle of the first act, 
throwing a, a tantrum about, you know, I want my opera house. I want my opera house. He goes to jail. Um, and for a sentence that should have taken a couple of weeks, he gets bailed out in a couple of days because of his wealthy partner. And that's just like, I'm never, I'm never going to get behind a character like that who undergoes those like that, that arc, like that's, that's never going to happen. That's not like, I will never be endeared to that person. Um, so bummer. Um, the other thing I, 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 I like kind of hung my head and chuckled and like held my hands out as if to ask why a few different times. There was one time that I realized may have been sort of confusing, um, to either of the gentlemen that I am with, um, or I don't know for anybody who saw this movie recently, there's one, uh, I, is it when they're like examining the ship? Yeah. It's like before they actually set out on their journey. And I think it's, yeah. So it's, um, Fitzcarraldo and Molly aboard the ship. And like, we get a glimpse at one of the ship hallways and like the most glaring thing about it is like two thirds of the boards are just missing and there are holes in the floor. Like that is the, uh, like, it's one of those, like, can you spot the difference between these two pictures? It's like, like, can you, can you spot what is like troublesome about this image? It's like, yeah, there's no fucking floor. Like you're going to fall through it. And, and, and Kinski goes, just he goes watch out it's very slippery it's like motherfucker <laughs> that's not the most obvious uh, i don't know so I, was, I was i was beside myself already at like that must have been like 45 minutes into the movie anyways just wanted to call that out it was weird and weird and i have nothing else to say it's weird and weird and kinsky uh i will say as for the bell ringing um that's that, i'm sorry cody but like in the microcosm that's just dudes rocking like he just had to have his truth on top of this church and listen breaking into a church uh and breaking like a a rule that doesn't harm anybody like you know we're not killing people uh through the act of this like i I would agree dude's rocking on in that way like yeah that's that's a that's a fair counterpoint i'm i can get on board with that and and but but having a rich girlfriend is is the objectionable piece bro what i was just gonna say actually that's cool too I'm I'm ready to fully be become like a, a a complete hypocrite to everything I just said, but like, how do I get me a girl like Molly? Huh? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, babe, like I have all the money in the world, and I'm completely ready to support whatever ridiculous batshit idea you have, and love you completely unconditionally, even though you look like fucking Klaus Kinski. <laughs> it's wild, man. It's like, holy shit, like this guy's got it made. She she found him on on like Hinge, and the only thing in his, uh, and it, like the only question he had answered, or like the only thing in his bio was like, mm, "Well, I found my opera house. Ooh, that's that's a, a, a an endeavor I can get behind. Let me just let me hook up, man. The, again, the dead eyes on Kinski, I just can't get over it. This my God, guy. I mean, it's it's like you made Ken's hair from Street Fighter like real, like you took a 16 bit representation <laughs> of hair and like gave it gave it like realistic shading and depth. It is it is insane how upsetting it is to he, to see here and watch that man. Uh, co- sorry, Harry, were there any final thoughts that you had? You want to let out any more uh, bangers? Oh, I don't know. I just like, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just a baby and like, maybe this was supposed to be the point, but like, can you imagine if like the last shot of this movie is just, is just Fitzcarraldo's face with that big cigar and he's got this big smile and the triumphant music plays. What if they just cut to the two natives that were crushed under the boat, right? <laughs> like <laughs> the real, just like, the real black Klansman yeah. ending. Oh boy. Boy, howdy. Uh, well, I'm going to call that the end of our final thoughts. Uh, we're coming at a clean 47 minutes here, fellas. Uh, we can finally transition to the final segment of our final podcast. Um, don't ask, uh, about hey, this that. Is last our final podcast? Uh, hey, Harry, do you know the first, first few nights of our, uh, of, of, of the theme? Yes, I do. It's the, the theme of the segment that we like to call <gasps> Cody's Cody's Damn. Uh, the inhalations, um, if that's a word, probably is not. But th- those happen simultaneously. Um, a, l- a little bit of faltering in the back nine, but still uh, a very um, Sick. operatic. I don't know uh, that you need to critique our... We're doing this all for you, man. <laughs> a very operatic uh, introduction. Thank you, gentlemen, as always. For its runtime, Fitzcarraldo is listed at 157 minutes on Letterboxd. And as fate would have it, there are 
several other notable films. Uh, I'll, I'll use the term notable here that come in at that same runtime. So I figured it might be worthwhile to highlight some of those other long boys in a segment I like to call Fitzka Runtime. <laughs> okay okay it was yes. a struggle this time yep nope uh okay i'm glad that went over well uh so what's here's what's gonna happen i will be presenting pieces of information that allude to films that share fitzcarraldo's runtime of 157 minutes and uh you know my my evergreen disclaimer for these types of games is that i've done my best to handpick movies that we're at least generally familiar with uh and as i'm reading off details then if you think you know the film being described, go ahead and raise your little Zencaster hand. Once I see a hand raised, I'll stop reading, I'll call on you, and if you're correct, you'll get the appropriate uh, amount of points. If you're not correct, we'll keep going until someone can get it right. Each person will only get one guess per round, so use that guess wisely. And this is a fastest hand sort of game where, you know, time is of the essence, but I'll remind y'all anyway that the Trivia Mafia mantra is use your noodles, not your Googles. So with that... Let's go ahead and jump in here. Um, we've got we've got five movies to to talk about. The first one, the release year was two thousand seven. The second build actor in the movie uh, is Mark Ruffalo. A quote from the film, not spoken by Mark Ruffalo's character. Uh, and I'm gonna stop because I see Jason's hand. Jason, do you have a guess? Is this Zodiac? It. Is Zodiac nice. Jason? I need to know who he is. I need to stand there. I need to look him in the eye, and I need to know that it's him. And in this case, he is <laughs> Jason Daphnis. Uh, Jesus Christ! Um, directed by David Fincher, um, co-starring Jay Jill and Alan Robert Downey Jr. Yes, Zodiac. Uh, it is on Netflix, and I believe it is on the Criterion Channel right now. Fincher's well. best, I think, probably in my opinion. Honestly, one of his best. Yeah, it's up there for me too. Something for me too. Jason, have you seen Zodiac? I'm sorry. Yes, I have. I was drinking water. Um, oh yeah. Uh, I didn't mean to catch you off guard. I'm, I'm, uh, I just have to describe this was very, very good water. Uh, I filtered it this oh, morning yeah. uh, in the Brita. It's a new filter and you can really tell the difference. Uh, yes, I have seen Zodiac. Nice. Well, shout out to Zodiac. Shout out to Jason for watching Zodiac and getting the point. And shout out to Brita Filters. Um, his his water may be filtered, but his thoughts ain't. That's what you get. Brita, that was uh, like a cross between the Terminator theme um, and, the and then like, <laughs> I, yeah, and the ESPN. He's like, I will admit something real quick. The first note I made, I was like, oh no, I'm doing the Terminator theme. I need to do a different <laughs> rhythm. <laughs> I need to find, oh, okay. Well, uh, I'm glad this is already as unhinged as, um, as Kinski the person. Moving on to number two. Uh, the release year of our second film is 2015. The second build actor is Tom Hardy. And a quote from the film, um, not spoken by Tom Hardy's character, however, I ain't afraid to die anymore. I'd done it already. The director, as I pause and look at Harry for a guess. Is this The Revenant? This is The Revenant. Uh, Alejandro González Iñárritu is the director, co-stars Leonardo DiCaprio, and I had to look it up or to make sure I was saying it correctly, Donal Gleason. Donal Gleason. Donal? Yeah. I'm, I'm, Donal? Not, I'm not saying that. It's not Domnal or Domhall. From his from his mouth, it is not one of those like shitty translation translations. Yeah, yeah, yes. Thank you. He is from a different country, Harry. Thank you <laughs> for right. calling that out. But it's a different white country, so it's okay yeah, to make fun funny. of him. Exactly. Oh, listen, I never, I never said that wasn't the case. Uh, <laughs> Charlie loves so yeah. that guy. She's a big. I love fan. him too. He's, He's honestly good. one of my favorite actors. Hey, have you He's seen About Time? Actor, yeah, I've seen About Time. Harry, would you say? I, 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 I we're having four different conversations right now. Um, <laughs> I have seen about time. Um, who else had something that has not yet been resolved? And both of them Ex went Machina. on mute. This is awesome. Ex Machina is good. I think and some people don't like Ex Machina, but I do. I love Ex Machina. Um, that was. I, I mean, it wasn't like inner circle contender for when we did our like top ten movies list, but I mean, it, it made it made it through a couple rounds of my like process of elimination. I, I like I like X Monkey. You no, know, and his dad is the guy from In Bruges and Mad Eye Moody from the Harry Potter movies, and I cannot remember his name. Yeah, but he's, he's another from, famous actor. Brendan yeah, he's from lots of stuff. Brendan Gleeson. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, uh, Donal and Brendan. 
um, the Gleasonses. Well, we're oh, talking I was going to say there's a there's yes. an amazing part in the Revenant. I'm sorry, where Tom Hardy uh, he's he's having his final fight with the Revenant. So spoilers for the Revenant. And the Revenant swings an axe and it cuts off like three of um, Tom Hardy's fingers, just like on the ground. And Tom Hardy just goes, "God damn it!" Like he just stubbed his toe, and it was the funniest <laughs> shit. Like I always think about that line. It's like, bro, how hard is this guy? He just got three of his fingers cut off and he's just like ah shoot man you hate to see it happen to fingies um well with that with that uh correct guess harry ties it up at one apiece we've got five movies so three more to go here and we are at number three right now the release year for this third film in the game is 2005 the director of the film is mike newell and here's a quote from the film dark and difficult times lie ahead soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy the second build actor in this film is, it's not Harry Mackin, but I saw he put his hand up and then he put it down. If Aaron Grossman were here, he would be having a field yes. day. I'm just going to let whatever happened happen. Harry, do you oh, have yeah. a guess? Did you, repeat two th- was, did you say 2005? 2005. Ooh, I'm definitely wrong. Uh, I would like to rescind my guess for now. Can I do that? Uh, Jason, what do you think? Are we, are we going to allow this? this is a, I, I grant yeah, clemency literally this one time. Never again. All right, so I'll, I'll back it up here. So um, we were just going to get to the second build actor, which is Rupert Grint. Nothing, huh? Okay. Uh, oh, all right, I see Harry's hand. Harry, would you like to venture against? I can do an asterisk, or I can maybe not get a point, but is this Goblet of Fire? Uh, do you have a, a, a full title read by by, by Harry Hatch? Potter and the Goblet of Fire? Yeah, okay, thank you. I mostly just wanted to be a dick. But yeah, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Um, The order in which I was going to list uh, some other co-stars uh, was uh, Robert Pattinson, then Alan Rickman, then Emma Watson, dot, 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 then Daniel Radcliffe. Um, but yes. You want me to get my own ass? I, really, I was really about to say the King's Speech because that sounded like the speech from the end of the King's Speech, which came out of like 2010, I think. Oh sure, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, 2010, same year as as Social Network. Um, yeah, the so yeah, dude, the dude they, gave, they gave that movie best best picture over the Social Network. Do you remember yeah, that? Oh yeah, my god, I, I have hated it ever since. Um, happy 11 year anniversary uh, anniversary of that bullshit happening. Um, but yeah, that quote that I read was from Dumbledore. I think to was it to Harry at the end. It's been a while since I've seen that one. But yeah, funnily enough, the um, introduction of Brendan Gleeson to the uh, Harry Potter franchise um, that was by pure coincidence. I did not plot them out that way. Wheels um, within wheels, Gle- man. That's the Cody's Nodi's way. Uh, it tells me that the Gleesons have their hands in the um, the 157 minute market uh, is what is what I'm hearing. 157 minute movies. Um, to be specific, not to get suggestive. And moving right along here, um, we've got two movies left. Uh, Harry pulls into uh, a lead of two to one over Jason. Um, still very much anybody's game, though, as we go into this fourth film that was released in 2012. The second build actor in this film is Jason Clark. A quote from this film is Jason's hand is raised, so I will let him venture, I guess. Is this... um? Rise of the Planet of the Apes? Rise of the Planet of the Apes is the guess. It is not the correct answer. However, mm. uh, so we've got we've got Harry left. Um, he can venture a guess whenever. I'm going to keep reading shit, though. So this is a, quit, uh, a quote from the film, rather. This is not spoken by Jason Clark's character. I wanted to drop a bomb, but people didn't believe in this lead enough to drop a bomb. So they're using you guys as canaries. That is the quote. The director of this film is Catherine Bigelow. Co-stars include Jessica Chastain and Chris Pratt. So that uh, concludes my clues. Harry, do you have a guess? Not really. Um, Zero Dark Thirty? Wasn't Jessica Chastain in that? Zero Dark Thirty is the guess, and that is the correct answer. Hey, Um, I didn't know Chris Pratt was in that movie. That's wild. Yeah, he's one of the aforementioned oh, canaries near the end. Okay. Yeah, uh, Kyle Chandler, James Gandolfini, um, they're also in it. Um, James Gandolfini is in Zero Dark Thirty? Yeah, I think he's like the CIA director or some shit. Oh, I have to watch that, I guess. Yeah, Mark Strong is in it too. Man, a, a feast for the white guy lovers out there. Yeah. Wow. Of, are, you sure it's cool not, are you sure it's not Andy Garcia? But I'm... I'm let me... Ch- uh, judges? It's, yeah, it's not... Hey, it's not Andy Garcia. It's not... 
Okay, yeah, I'm getting word that it's not Andy Garcia. Um, so we're, mm. we're in the clear there. Well, I love, I in, love uh, to make jokes. Or not Dunkirk, in uh, 1917. That's right. Man, uh, he, he could have been in both. No, he was in 1917. Well, he could have been. I don't know. How, you, how could you tell in Dunkirk, right? All those guys look the same. They all look like Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, well, moving along to the the fifth and final film, um, I, I, as you know, much as I may hate to say it, we cannot go into this saying that it's anybody's game, but uh, we can still have some fun here. So our fifth and final film, we've got a quote here. I'm going to lead with the quote. When you love something, you protect it. Um, pair that with the fact that the second build actor in this movie is Richard Madden and Harry's hand is raised. That is this year's The Eternals. Oh, do I give it to him because there's no oh, the in the title? Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah, it, it is Eternals, release year 2021, director uh, Chloe Zhao, also starring Salma Hayek, and I'm going to blow y'all's minds, maybe. So this, I, I spent... Too much time confirming the pronunciation of this little freak's last name. The uh, again, we're talking we're talking about people who live in countries that are not ours. The pronunciation I'm seeing is Barry Keon, not Keegan or Colgan. Mm. Keon. Um, Keon. I'm going to try to say that when I think of it. Um, Keegan and Kogan are both very fun ways to say that, so I cannot promise that I will hold the Keon. But well, um, Keon, you crazy diamond. Do we have any confirmation that it's not just key? Uh, that was that was the whole joke. Uh, yeah, that's it's pretty good. I was trying to think of an equally funny thing to say after that, but I can't. Nothing, nothing is more funny than that, unfortunately. Dum, dum, for me. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. The final score here. Um, Harry ran away with this one. The final score, four to one. This has been Fitzcarran time. I hope y'all had a fun time. I had um, uh, uh, the first thing that came to mind was a grunt time. I'm just going to say it. I had a grunt time. Uh, thank you, Cody, as always, for making the ends of our episodes way more fun than the beginnings of our episodes. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're welcome, listeners. Um, we've put this platform together just to just to showcase Cody's notice for you. The preceding um, 40 minutes of this podcast were just just set up. Uh, but we hope that you enjoyed the, uh, you know, the little baby discussion that came before it too. Um, you can catch tickets to, uh, the remaining films in the early Herzog series at the Trilon at Trilon.org. Uh, I know that there are at least two or three more, right? There's Sh- Sojak, Wajak, um, uh, 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 the Enigma of Casper Hauser. Uh, Cody's got his microphone on, but he's just waiting there and watching me writhe. Um, I was uh, I was gonna say you're doing great if you had um, not uh, gotten out of the stumbling of the pronunciation of that name, which I would yeah. also get wrong. Um, I was gonna yeah say Enigma of Casper Hauser because that's the easier one to say. But um, regardless, you are doing great. Um, please continue. Thank you. Uh, I will. Uh, and you can get tickets to a lot of other things. They've already planned out a lot of um, different series between now and like February. Uh, so just check it out. Go to the Trilons website, figure out what they've got planned, figure out what you want to go see. And uh, hey, let us know if you go. Um, we would uh, we would love to see you there. We will probably be there for a lot of the uh, better and more interesting movies to cover them uh, for this podcast you're currently listening to, which is called Try Love. It's a literal roundtable podcast you can find on Twitter at to try love podcast my name is jason daphnis i don't really know what just happened there and you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus uh i was a little nervous coming into this because i am um cat sitting for a friend um our friend emily shoutouts to emily her cat sufyan and uh f- long time fans and, and followers of the pod might be familiar with uh chaco the cat um who is um, no longer with he's living it up he's the king of Oregon right now, I think probably him. And, and Chuck would always, he would conclude his nap and like start getting a little wily near the end of when we typically record. Um, but uh, I love to report that Sufyan is nestled, um, nestled snugly on the couch or not on the couch. I don't know why I said couch. He's on a recliner. He's on a recliner in my living room. And uh, I'm envious to join him or, uh, you know, I'll probably do that soon. The map sounds really nice. Um, we'll see what happens. It's uh, any, anything can happen. I will continue to be a dreamer. Uh, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. 
Cody, the way you said that reminded me of Phil Hartman in Jingle All the Way when he goes, it's nestled safely under I our almost, I almost <laughs> went into that. I did not. Um, holiday watch list 2021. This yeah, we got to watch it. It's great. Uh, well, this had a little bit of something for everybody because although I still I won today's uh, Cody's Noties, I still made a fool of myself by overthinking and saying everything I was thinking aloud. So a little bit of something for everyone. Um, I've been Harry Mackin. You can get more of that if you're interested on my Twitter at Shiitake Harry. Thank you. Oh, please don't take it personally. We're all sportsmen, aren't we? Yeah.